done? Need that? Yeah. Need this? Clean up your mess, would you, Rick? Uh, for the last two years, said this, I don't know how long, been teaching the Gospels and came to the end of that last week. And so I said to those that were here that I was going to take a, a little break from straight Bible teaching. Uh, we'll pick back up probably after Easter sometime, and I'm going to go straight into Acts uh, from there. But when you teach for two years on the same same path, there's a lot of things that you missed out on throughout those two years. And so I'm going to try to catch up over the next few weeks. And a lot of you have asked, there's people that come in here every Sunday that we don't know. Well, part of that's your problem. <laughs> because you either leave too quick or you're just in your own little world and your own little circle. So get out of that circle and get to know some of these people and get to know some of their names because uh, they're really amazing people. And today I want to introduce you to one here in a minute. But um, before I do that, I'm going to try to do three things today, and I could really spend the whole time on each one of them, but uh, I'll abbreviate. So the first one I, I want to tell you about is a, a vision that I have been given. Uh, as you know, my mom died in September uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was 83 years old, and uh, she had dementia as she uh, died um, in February of last year. We actually went to Tulsa and moved her out of her house and moved her in with my sister. And uh, my sister Heidi uh, had hospice come in. Actually, I had somebody sit with her for a long time. Throughout the next nine months, we had a lady that was very generous with my mom during the day and then Heidi would take care of mom at night but it got to a point where Heidi couldn't even do that that hospice came in hospice being supported by Medicaid um, took care of my mom and then it got to a point in August where that wasn't even sufficient and so hospice then said we're going to try to get your mom into the Claire house and <clears throat> That was the last thing mom wanted to do was go to a nursing home her whole life. Just don't put me in a nursing home. Just don't put me in a nursing home. And so we didn't know what the Claire house was at that point. Um, and so Heidi began to investigate. And to, to be honest with you, it's just a, a facility that you go to and die. You have, thir you have 30 days to die in this facility. Uh, and so that causes you to kind of freak out a little bit there. But um, mom went into the facility and she panicked. And so Michelle and I got in the car and drove down there. You, most of you know the story. And she kind of came alive when we walked into the room. I just said, hey, mom. And she just like came out of whatever the dying stage that she was in. Heidi and Kelly, my two sisters, looked at each other like, what is going on? But really, she allowed us to have three days with her in just her really almost normal self. Uh, and during those three days, we were at the Claire House, and this place, when we pulled up, looked like a Disney resort. 
It was beautiful. Didn't look like a hospital. Didn't look like a nursing home. Walked inside. The lobby was incredible. Uh, walked into mom's room. It was a beautiful room. Had uh, double doors that opened up to a balcony where you could wheel the bed out to the balcony and see all the landscaping. That was incredible. Squirrels climbing on her porch. It was just a beautiful thing. And then uh, some young lady comes in and gives my mom a manicure and a pedicure for like three hours. She's dying, you know, and my mom's looking at her nails like, oh, wow, you know, just like uh, somebody brings their dog in and puts them up on my mom's bed and just lets her play with the dog. And I'm just, what in the world is going on here? My mom wanted mashed potatoes. They're like, we don't have any potatoes, but we'll go get some and we'll make some for you. They literally loved my mom the last three weeks of her life. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, we left. I literally, that Saturday morning, I looked at my mom and said goodbye to her while she was conscious. And we knew it was our last goodbye. That was one of the most difficult things I did in my life. But as I left and drove home, I began thinking, that was an incredible experience for me. Not so, not sure so much for my two sisters who were there through the whole process, but for me it was an incredible experience that uh, maybe this is what we're supposed to do back here in Fishers. It's called a social hospice. What's the possibility of creating a, a place like that here in Fishers? Well, there's not a place like that. It's not a place like that in the state. There is a place down on 36, 38th Street where people who are homeless and are dying can go in there and, do, and, and die. Uh, so now I have been having conversations since probably October with different people, and it's just, I wouldn't say steamrolling, but it's, it's rolling pretty good, and people are pretty excited. Even Matt Tully said he would come in, and I won't say exactly what he said he would do to the people, but he would take care of the people. <laughs> Uh, and there's been city officials that have been listening to this as well and talking about it. So it got to the point where I decided to go down to Tulsa and to investigate. Jim David uh, flew me and Jonathan Haig down there uh, to Tulsa for the day. We flew down for the day, interviewed some people, and flew back that night. And Jim's put together this video that I would like to show to you right now. The moment I walked in the door, the warm feeling of being home, um, being with family, uh, just a calmness, a serenity, um, privacy, even though you were in a home with uh, many other residents, you know, um, you still have privacy and it was just such a good experience. I thought I want to be a part of that. I found out about Claire House um, as my great-grandmother passed at Claire House in 2007. That was before the Claire House we know now. 
it was a, a set of four apartments that were um, rented and uh, it was a wonderful experience too. I had never seen anything like it. Uh, my great-grandmother was at Claire House for about three weeks before she passed and it felt like home. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I'm actually a volunteer, and I chose to volunteer based on the care they gave my mom. Um, took me a year to come back as a volunteer, but uh, I wanted to give back. I mean, what I, I could never repay what they did for my mom. I would define Claire House as the ultimate place for someone that is facing the end of life. Um, I feel like it's the kind of care that everyone deserves and I'm sorry that not everyone can experience it. In just a few words I would describe Claire House as a social model hospice home. And that's something that most people have not heard of or understand what it means. It's not an actual physical hospice place like that's associated with a hospital, but it really is just a home where patients come to pass away in their last 30 days of life. It's a home that has a kitchen, it has a living room, it has an outdoor area to walk around, it has a barbecue grill for families to come and have barbecues with their loved ones. We have a dining room table where we provide meals for families to come eat with each other. So it really is like an actual home, but you just have other people helping care for your loved one. Claire House allowed my sister and I to be her daughters rather than her caregivers towards the end and I'll never, sorry, <laughs> I'll never be able to repay that. It gave her some dignity back where her daughters weren't having to, to, to do things that, you know, she, she would not, she, what, she didn't want us to do anymore. Um, the staff was amazing, she, she loved them all. She, um, you know, you have the option of staying 24-7 if you want. Um, it was very nice for my sister and I to be able to leave at night and feel like our mom was still being cared for, and I never doubted it. I was the evening caregiver, so, because I still worked during the day, and um, I felt very comfortable, you know, late evening, leaving mom and my sister being back here first thing in the morning. And so to have a place like Claire House where they're able to have their loved one here and have nursing care and have caregivers come in and help as well as have their hospice come in and take care, that allows them to be, you know, the husband, the wife, the father, uh, the grandchild and just be the family and enjoy those last moments they have just spending time with them. You know, for somebody to duplicate Claire House, I really believe that the key is facility, the facilities, the surroundings, and the staff. I mean, again, I'm a volunteer, so not to take away from the volunteers, but I think if you have the right facility, the right surroundings, and the right staff, the volunteers will come.
The part about the facility that I think made us feel so comfortable was the fact that it's like a home. I mean, my mom had her own room. You know, we were able to put personal items in there, and it wasn't a room like a nursing home. It, it was a very homey type room. Again, when I was here, I felt very comfortable. I felt, you know, I, I felt like I was home away from home. Maybe that's a, a good way of putting it, that I think it's really important to make, to get that feel. I'll say this, it's nice to have your own pilot and videographer all tied together in one, so uh, uh, that that's just what's going on in here, and I'm not saying Levener is committed to this, I'm not attaching this to Levener, obviously you guys are a huge part of what we do, uh, so I don't know how that really plays out. Um, I just know that there's a lot of people that are wanting to get involved in it, and I don't. And right now, it's 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 just on paper. That's it. There's no timeline. There's no. It's a vision. It's just a vision. So why wouldn't I share that with you? Um, the I don't tell you that. Uh, questions, real quick. I'll field a couple questions if you. Yeah, Jim. The cost, oh yeah, the cost. What it cost uh, me and my family was uh, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. They don't charge a dime. So hospice continued based upon Medicaid uh, to, come, to come to the Clare House. Hospice came. They actually have staff, getting into a little bit deeper here, but they actually have staff, one nurse, full time, or there 24-7 and all she does is provide uh, pain relief there's no restoration care there it's literally a place you go to die so but then they also have volunteer caregivers as well but everything was done free they do fundraiser one fundraiser a year at their place and um, depends on volunteers it's a good question thanks somebody else yeah they had 10 rooms here. I kind of, for some reason, have 12 in my mind, 12 rooms, but uh, 10 rooms. And, you know, one weekend they moved seven people out. There's a waiting list to get in. I know the joke. People are dying to get in. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bad joke. But, you know, if you can change the mindset of, of dying in this culture... Um, I'm talking about for senior adults, that whole thing, and just the burden that it is for families, uh, the impact that it could have would be pretty big, I think. Pretty awesome. Yeah, Stacy. What happens if you go over the 30 days? Yeah, uh, that's a question that we talked about. When mom was there, we thought mom was going to go over the 30 days, especially when we showed up. Uh, and it made my family, there was this tenseness because it's like you got to take her out and find another place for her to go, either back to Heidi's or someplace else. Uh, but they had cases where people would recover. And we thought that they couldn't go back in. Once their 30 days were up, that was it. But we, talking to Kelly, the person that 
originated the whole thing. She's like, no, they, they can come back. If they get to another point, they'll just come back. But we're just not a long-term facility. So typically the doctors in the hospice that are evaluating the patients will say, no, they're, they're, close, to, they're close to death. They have, you know, 10 days or whatever, and so let's get them in there. So, yeah, good question. Yeah. Are you asking? The obstacles is time. I don't think I don't think finances are not obstacle for some reason. I I'm maybe I don't know. I don't think I don't think uh, staffing it. I don't think volunteers. Obviously, uh, I don't even think construction wise. We've got so many construction people in here and dreamers and things like that. I think it's just the time to to work on it, which we're trying to figure out how that looks. Does that make sense? Last question. My goal is because I want to not want you to know what's going on with me. Uh, that makes it sound selfish, but um, I think the only way that it helps is if people know what's going on and and this thing gets communicated. How do you communicate this to a bigger, broader audience? And and that's why we went to Tulsa and did the video. How do you communicate this vision to people and to make it bigger so that it happens? I don't want it just to be, no. All right, I'm moving on. Uh, I'm going to ask Matt and Kevin to come up here. This is Kevin Willard. Kevin is... Uh, a good man, and I'm not going to like sit here and go into everything because that's Matt's job. I've asked Matt to just interview Kevin, so here are two stools, two mics. You can take the mics out and hold them if you want, or you can, and you got about 10, 15 minutes, and I got to do my last thing. Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah. You know, it, you know, when I sit up here and I look out at all these faces, there are a lot of faces, a lot of friends, a lot of you here, male, female, that I've chased Jesus with, a lot of you. And, you know, as Leavener, right, we get together and we all kind of sound the same. One thing I'll say about Kevin, Kevin airdropped into our Bible study here within the last year. I, I don't even know which month it was. We started up a men's study after banquet back in November of 04. Chad and Chad and I were some of the original founders of that Bible study. We're in the 15th year now <clears throat> from, from back then. So a lot of people, we've had hundreds of men come through the Bible study, and it usually is anchored with the Book of Romans. Well, months ago, like I said, Kevin just airdrops into our Bible study out of nowhere, and he sounds like everybody else. <laughs> And it was just so encouraging to find somebody that came to so many of the same conclusions in a different way. It's like confirmation, like, oh, we're not crazy, right? Like this really stuff must be real, that it's not just through lifetime guarantee or the Roman study or, you know, a grace walk or something else. The, uh, but he, th this guy, he had no intentions of becoming my mentor, and he has. He never set out to do that, but I've just come to just so appreciate him because of the humility that he, that he walks with, right? And humility is just, it's of God. 
And Kirsten, my wife had said to me not long ago, she said, well, Matt, you're a salesman and Kevin is a scientist. I'm always trying to convince people of what I'm saying. Kevin, not trying to convince anybody. <laughs> He's already settled the science. <clears throat> so I just wanted to share the, um, this friend of mine with, with all of you and introduce him to you. But Kevin, can you tell them just a little about your family? Sure. Um, so, <coughs> so my wife is back here, Terry, and we've been married a little over 40 years, which means we got married, what, when we were 12, I think, <laughs> somewhere close to that. And then my oldest daughter, uh, Lindsay's here, and her and her husband just moved back from Florida, about, and they've been in there about 10 years, so we're thrilled to have them back with us. That's great. Um, and I, how, and how about um, the, uh, and where do you guys live right now? Uh, we live in Rush County, south of Knightstown, so it's a different, almost a different time zone, feels like. But yeah, we live in uh, Center Township, which has no town. There's about 780 people in the township and about 1,200 dogs. So, <laughs> so. How long does it take you to get here? Uh, 55 minutes, maybe, something like that, I think. Okay. Yeah. That in, so this is where... Um, you grew up religious. Mm-hmm. You were good at it. Yeah. And the, can you talk about the, your background and what you came out of? Um, so a little bit. Uh, uh, Terry and I were in the Navigators at Ball State and absolutely loved it. Now, you don't know much about the Navigators. They're uh, very much into Bible study and scripture memory and that sort of thing. So I'd memorized hundreds, hundreds of scripture and, uh, and really enjoyed that. But uh, when, when I graduated, you know, I just wanted to be God's guy. And so I, we got into a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and slowly but surely became very much pulled into this performance-based legalistic theology. Uh, all these people with genes on today, you would, that would be really, really bad. Um, and, and so that, uh, we, we were there from 1980 to about 1997. And when Matt and I have talked many times about different things, and I, I told him once, I said, look, I am an accomplished legalist. I, I was really good at it. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's some of the background. But, you know, I mean, my passion was for the Word of God, I absolutely, and still. But it's easy to kind of start getting into, pulled into a performance-based kind of theology where you want to be accepted, then do these things. And when you start getting down that list, well, then somebody will give you another one. So it was. Kevin, can you tell them about the, what the, the trigger of the, that funeral that you were at? Yeah. There, so, so, you know, there, there comes a point where um, I guess the way, the way my mind's geared up, you know, it's, it's collecting data and, and I'm looking at hypotheses and see if things play out the way, the way uh, I've been told. And so one Sunday, the, the pastor is given a message about a, a lady whose husband had been killed in a snowmobile accident, and the lady blamed her husband's friend for the accident. And the pastor said, and I told her, you know, that if you don't forgive uh, him, then God won't forgive you. And for whatever reason, that uh, you look back now and you can say, well, that was the Spirit saying, come on, think, think. And it, and it turned, turned me on to thinking, wait a minute, are is it really finished or is it not finished? And so the, what I was taught, and at that time I was teaching one of the college career classes, and so I'm teaching the same thing that, that I'm being taught. 
was that there's this, well, you know, there's this positional forgiveness. Jesus has forgiven you, but experientially you, you need to get right with God. You need to be clean. You need to ask him to forgive you every day. And, I mean, and it was, so you're forgiven or you're not forgiven. And so I think the turning point for me was looking at that and saying, so do I have to ask for forgiveness or now do I have to forgive my brother for forgiveness? Do I need to walk in light for forgiveness or is it really finished? And um, that would have been 1997-ish, somewhere in there. And I had gone to a dairy farm up in South Dakota uh, for, I think it was like four or five days. And I took my little pocket Bible with me and I read the entire New Testament looking for everything I could find on forgiveness. And that's when it, that's when things started really turning for me was to say, okay, I am forgiven. So then you look back and say, what's Jesus talking about? And he was, and I began, and there was another turning point at that moment was, wait a minute, Jesus is alive. He's a Jew. He's teaching law. He's under the law. He's amplifying the law. And I think he was really waiting for the people to say, well, then who can be forgiven? And then Jesus would say, I got this good question. So, so that was the turning point for me was the whole forgiveness issue. And when I started asking questions and sharing that at church, I just get these stares like, well, you know that. And I would be, I know I used to teach that. So you're not telling me something I don't know. But that was the, the first turning point where things, what I call it is incongruency, where things just didn't match up. So you just created an illustration to make it work. And when I started seeing that, no, that forgiveness is total and complete and one time done, then things started kind of started to fall into place. So yeah. Kevin used that word incongruent. I don't I don't know about you all. I haven't heard that word since I think geometry class, maybe nineteen eighty <laughs> something. The uh but like I said, Kevin's a scientist, worked at uh Alanco. Yeah, uh, Lily Alanco, thirty seven years. And- okay. The uh so when you were digging this out on your own, you got a lot of kickback from the old congregation. Yeah, yeah. Well I and I didn't I guess in a bit of not naivete or something where I, I thought, well, if this is true, then gosh, there must be a lot of people that believe this. And so, you know, I start sharing it and I'd be, I was called a heretic and, you know, you can't teach that. And uh, yeah, there's, so there, but I was happy with that. I was happy to be called a heretic because this just made sense. So, um, so yeah, so there, there was a lot of, a uh, lot of pushback. Yeah. So when you started um, chasing this on your own, how long, were you on your own? Uh, probably 13 years, somewhere in there. And, you know, like I said, the first thing I did was I went out and I got a my New American Standard Bible, no commentary. I was just at a point where I just, I didn't want to know what anybody thought anymore because I'd had a, uh, and I'm not being critical of anybody that got study Bibles, it's fine. But for me, it was, I was spending so much time under the line reading all the commentary that I was, I think I was really missing the truth of scripture. So I'd say it's about 13, 13 years. And, uh, yeah. Now I just let 13 years sink in. I never had a month where I didn't have a Chad Hayward or an Ed Hens or someone to, to, to talk to or call and ask questions to, but 13 years on his own. This makes me think of the prophet Jeremiah. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to meet Jeremiah, right? They saw he's the lonely prophet. He was sad. You know, he didn't have friendships and people to talk to and bounce ideas off of him. Like, tell me, am I crazy? And Kevin's one of those people I can talk to. Like, I know this sounds her- like heresy, but hear me out. Let me know if this makes sense. And, and uh, it's always a, a, a safe thing. I've got notes that I and my on my phone that I keep. I call it Willardisms. And um, 
because uh, mm-hmm. there's always just uh, some great truths that, that, that he's sharing. One in particular is when we talk about walking by the Spirit, how you walk by the Spirit. Can yeah. you talk a little about that? Um, well, back in, in Romans 7, uh, it, it, I, I, I love to find words in, in, in Scripture that just stand out. And sometimes they can be subtle. But, uh, you know, you read Romans 7 and you get to the point where Paul says, you know, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the, the body of the dead? And, uh, and I, I get the question quite a bit, was, well, how do I walk in the Spirit? How do I do that? And I was agonizing over the fact that every time I get asked that question, I, I, I say, well, it's who, it's not how. You know, to me, that was the main thing is focus on, on Jesus. And, and then I kept coming up blank. I, 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 I don't know how to answer that. And so I'm texting Matt one day and I said, Matt, this has been tormenting me all day, but I think the reason I can't find an answer for someone who says, how do I walk in the spirit is because scripture doesn't tell you how to walk in the spirit. It says walk in the spirit in Galatians. Paul said, but I say to you, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So I said, so it's not, it's not an introspective tormenting thing that you think about it's just in its imperative walk in the spirit because if the spirit indwells you as a believer well how else do you walk you know it's 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 your default mode so. and i think oftentimes we got a, a dave oh i don't see dave here this morning but for 10 years he's always asked well how do you do that how do you do that and kevin was holding out the answer all that time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hey, Kevin, you, you talk about too the, the uh, just beginning with what if. I know that those two words mean a lot to you, but yeah, the uh, how you how would you describe the gospel in a what if? And so what if? Um, just those two words. I yeah, I, I I like to uh, to think about the extremes, the what if kind of extremes, and sometimes it's it's a bit of an insane thought because one day with this guy is just struggling with. Well, you know, I just don't feel righteous and, and, and on and on. And, and so I ask him, you know, these things pop in my head like, well, what if God was satisfied with his own righteousness? And then, you know, and I get this look like, well, of course. And I said, then why aren't you satisfied with yours? And took him to first Corinthians. I think it's one thirty that Jesus became for us righteousness. And, uh, so I, I like the what if questions. I like, I like challenging, uh, the crazy thought and finding out that most of the time the truth is closer to the crazy thought than, than not. And there's another Willardism I have in here about reckless confidence. <laughs> um, we were talking about that a few weeks ago and uh, you ever meet somebody that they spend all their time talking about how they fight with sin and how they struggle with sin and, 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 and all the battles they do. And, and I just said to him, I said, you know, I, I would rather look at scripture and know that you're holy, righteous, redeemed, loved by God, totally forgiven, um, and 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 in seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And I said, I'm just I'm just gonna live with reckless confidence. And I said, I mean, that means I'm not gonna live recklessly, but I want to live with reckless confidence. Yeah. That is uh and folks the that um you used to go to service with. Are some coming around? Um, I, a lot of them, when you start sharing with them who you really are in Christ and, and that sort of thing, they, they, there's this excitement. And a few of them have said, yeah, I, I, I get it. But most of them will say, uh, one, one of our close friends years ago, uh, her and her husband were very excited. And then 
a, a week or so later, it was, uh, well, we can't talk to you anymore because you're preaching heresy. So that's okay. I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, I, I just, uh, if many of you here are friends of mine. If you're a friend of mine, Kevin is now a friend of yours. And the uh, it's funny, you talk to Kevin, his eyes just light up. If you remember, uh, remember the... the Rudolph's shiny new year and remember the baby new year and he had these, these Kevin's when he talks about Jesus his eyes just light up and again he's just coming from just such a, a place of love and humility and and he's uh, there's just there's just so much wisdom to glean but he shares with all of us just this understanding of forgiveness the power of sin and rest and not how you do it it's just know who dwells within you so I just want to introduce my friend Kevin Willard to you guys and and um like I said, he's he's just a wonderful man. So, Rusty, thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Nice job, man. Such a great man. Uh, I hope that you can get to know Kevin and Terry, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll do a little bit more of this stuff. Somebody, a lot of you have been asking. Let's do some more of that. We just want to hear from people and what their stories are. So we'll make that happen. Seven years, I'm moving on. Seven years ago, I went with Micah and my son, Corey, who at the time was a senior at Hamilton Southeastern High School, pulled him out of school for 10 days and went to Israel. My son didn't like to read, still doesn't like to read, uh, so he never read his Bible. He knew his Bible just because he'd been in my house. Uh, he had heard the stories and things like that. Uh, so I took him to Israel, and all of a sudden, the Bible came alive to him. It was so cool to watch my son get excited about things that he's heard about his whole life as he walked through the different places and climbed on the rocks and jumped off the rocks and played just as Jesus would have played in the Holy Lands. And so then last year I took a group back. I took 18 people with me from Levner to go back to Israel. And... Uh, that was my first time as a leader to be able to do that. So I learned a lot, and we had a great tour guide with us. So now I'm ready to go again. And just to give you a taste of what you'll see is, again, my videographer went with us last year to Israel, and we're going to show you a, a real quick video, and then I'm going to tell you about our next trip. Uh Speaking, speaking, Ed, come up here. Yes, come up here. This is fill in now while we're getting Jim ready for, yeah, <laughs> you're going to blame Jim for this. Ed Hens, ladies and gentlemen, Ed's one of our, our elders. Don't run from the mic, sit right here, man. I've got a mic on, so. Hurry up, Jim. <laughs> Ed, I was, I was thinking about doing this anyway, so it's just okay. appropriate, so, uh, Ed and Kim went with us last year to uh, Israel. You, you tell us the importance of you going to Israel. Kim and I had talked about it for years wanting to go, but it just never seemed like the right time. And even last time, it didn't seem like the right time because right before we were figuring out to go, two of my key employees and I have four at work retired. So it was going to be a tough time to make the transition, but we prayed over it. We just decided to go because we always wanted to just try to put – what we've read and, and been taught over years, our lifetime, into perspective. And 
we could not believe it when we went. The stuff that you see and um, actually stand right where Jesus stood is mind is mind blowing, and it's one of those experiences that if you have the opportunity to, to take that trip, you've got to do it. I mean, you see certain you see like where Jesus walked, and you see you sit in the Garden of Gethsemane for crying out loud. I mean, Jesus cried tears there, you know, blood, sweat, blood, uh, tears. It was just to see that it it takes your breath away. And to see actually how small it was compared to what you, my mind always thought it was such a huge area that he that he was in, but it really wasn't. It, it's just like a big neighborhood almost. And to walk the actual path that he walked and to see the places he was, it just I don't know. It was it was life changing for Kim and I to actually be able to experience that. And so Rusty's doing it again. I know we're going to put our name on the list today if he's talking I've about it. I've got good but... news for you then. <laughs> What's that? All right, you have a seat. We got All the video right. ready. Cool. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he never wants to get up here, so uh, it's cool. Ed, you did a great job. So let's watch this video. Some 
emotional just watching that every time uh i i could stand up here and talk about it forever but i'm not going to uh we're going here's the brochure it is october the 15th through the 24th of 2020 that gives you 18 months to prepare for this here's the cost the cost is four thousand $192 leaving from Indianapolis. That includes all your transportation, your flights, your taxes, your gratuities, your hotels, your breakfast and your dinners, uh, not your lunches. Your lunches, you're pretty much, you're not on your own, but you have to pay for those. But it, and all the tour sites are paid for. That's all inclusive. All right. Now, Here's the good news. Here's the big announcement, all right? If you sign up early, they have Imagine Travels, who we go with. If you sign up early, which is by August the 15th, you can uh, take $150 off. You go $4,000, $150, that's not much. Well, it's important for me to take those who have gone in the past to go back because they always like want to bring their family with them. So if you have gone to Israel in the past, I am going to offer, because of a generous gift that was uh, graciously given to us, I'm going to offer those who have been to Israel in the past the $500 discount on top of that. If you register by August the 1st, if you register by August the 1st, uh, there's some stipulations to that. They have to be uh, attending Levner. That's not just for anybody because uh, I don't want just anybody jumping on. But if you're in our database, you're active here uh, and you've been to Israel, we'll give you $500 off. If you're a first timer, never been, I'll give you $1,000 off if you register by August the 1st. That's a big deal. We would love for you to go with us. We just knocked your trip down to about $3,000. 
if you're a first-timer. You have to register by August the 1st. We'll pay the discount by June of next year for you uh, straight to Imagine Travel. And uh, we would love for you to go. Love for you to go. So we're making that offer to you today. I have uh, brochures. If you want to take a brochure, you're welcome to go look at it online. It's Imagine Travel. And our group code is 11 or 20, as in the year 20. 11 or 20 is the code. It's got everything that you need to know in the fine print in the back. Uh, questions about that real quick. Yes, Troy. Correct. Correct. I'll do a thousand dollars on top of the one fifty that Imagine gives you. Yes, Tim. Ronnie will not be our guide because Ronnie is retired, but uh, we have already been assigned a guide, and uh, we'll be all right. We'll be good. So a lot of people say having a different guide is good because you you get a different. Yeah. Any other questions? That's it. Uh, a couple of other things. Yeah, back in the back. I, I, they asked me how many I wanted to limit to, and I said a full bus, which I think is like 55 people. I don't want to do two buses. So I doubt that I'll get 55 people, but if we do, you know, that's where I'll, probably where the cap will be. So it's a good question. Uh, a couple other things. Aside from 2020, we're doing the cruise in January. If you want to go with us uh, and Mercy Me uh, in January, that is the 11th through the 17th, I believe, and you can register for that. All both of these registrations are not through Levner. Through that one, Israel's through Imagine Travel, and uh, the Mercy Me cruise is through Inspiration Cruises, and you can just go mercymeatsea.com, and you can look at all the itinerary and everything for that. It actually reads Mercy Meet C. It's kind of weird, but. Uh, and then Big John and Charlie uh, have asked me to, to also announce there's a guy's trip going out west. They're leaving May the 3rd in an RV. And they go for two weeks in an RV, these dudes do. If you would like to go out and see the west, don't ask me where because they don't even know where they're going. Do you? You have an idea. They just point the thing west, and they go out there to all the way. I don't know if they, you're not going to call it California, are you? All right, there you go. There's your answer. So if you're interested in that, we have these flyers up here at front with a little bit more information. You can also talk to Big John. So we got Israel, Mercy Me Trip, and the West Trip. Thanks for sticking around with us and going a little bit longer today.